Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports Station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Welcome back inside the clubhouse here, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine talking baseball on this windy December morning, just like we do 52 weeks a year, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios. Yeah, the lockout continues, Bruce. Yeah, it's the second week of monotony, but yeah, there's also baseball conversation that continues as well. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, David. And yeah, there's still plenty to talk about, and we want to continue to talk baseball. We will talk some lockout. Uh, it's not very exciting. There's not a lot to report, but we will tell you that there is a lot of things going on, especially in the Chicago area with the uh, latest on uh, the Hall of Fame elections coming up. The uh, Old Timers Committee uh, voting in one of the Chicago favorites of all time and Arrestus Mini Minoso last week. So, Plenty to talk about with you at 312-644-6767. David and I are here for you between 9 and 11. As he said, every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking the greatest game in the world to the greatest fans, the Chicago Cub and White Sox fans, every Saturday morning. Yep, and we want to hear from you. So let us know, text us, call us, share with us your opinions on what's going on. If it's a lockout, maybe it's the Cubs or Sox, how it's affecting their off-season decision-making and whether or not it benefits one team or hurts the other uh, worse, Bruce. But you mentioned um, kind of the bigger news. Uh, obviously, the big headline about baseball is there is no, there is no baseball and there is no baseball com- uh, conversation between the two sides that matter the most, and that's the Players Association and MLB. And this week, I think, was discouraging to bring everybody up to date. The update is there is no update. And that's the, that's the – when there is no news – that doesn't really bode well for the future. We will uh, hear from Ian Happ, the Cubs player rep, later in this program. We're going to replay the interview he did with Dan and Layla uh, on Thursday. And I think that will tell you and give you a sense. But, Bruce, how would you describe the stalemate as it stands right now between the players and, um, and, and Major League Baseball? Well, I, I, think, I think you described a, a portion of it correctly, David, and that is it hurts, but it hurts – it hurts the players and the owners more than it does the fans because the fans 
are not missing anything except great conversation like we have here every Saturday uh, about the game. And I mean, you take it from the from up until December 1st, where there were $2 billion of signings of free agents and extensions to baseball players, and it grabbed the attention of all sports fans the way that these huge free agents were signing deals and putting baseball in the front pages and on the, the front screens of, of uh, you know, all the uh, technology right now because of the fact that uh, big names were signing, getting deals like $43 million a year for Scherzer. I mean, it was an incredible time uh, that, that brought baseball up to, uh, up to snuff and, and put them in the limelight. And then, David, all of a sudden it just drops dead, okay, uh, with talk about lockouts. So the fans are not being hurt. The people that are being hurt right now are is baseball and the players for the perception of where they're at and what they're arguing about with his billions and millions of dollars and the idea you know that no games are being missed right now nobody's missing a paycheck right now no owners are missing uh, fans walking through the turnstiles or tv stations or networks uh, making money on advertising so there there is no real uh, emphasis no real reason for them to actually sit down and talk other than the fact that they're losing an offseason of uh, interest from baseball fans. So it's the owners, David. It's the players, I think, that are losing out. And it's everybody loses out because it's frustrating, Bruce, to watch this uh, on the outside looking in. And, and, and what we are left with is an explanation from Rob Manfred or from the Players Association side and there's this and that. And I don't want to dwell too long on this, but the most frustrating aspect for me in week one or coming out of, you know, the, the initial lockout and the news that there was no news was that they didn't – everybody gets bored with the money distribution and the, how revenue is going to be split, and that can make people's eyes gloss over. But what people – the fan that you referenced, people want to know – about how willing Major League Baseball is going to be to change some rules, to improve the pace of play, to make the game more exciting and interesting. And Rob Manfred, he confirmed that there had been no specific rule change proposals. There had not been any dialogue, really, that was tangible and meaningful. And that, to me, was if you're just watching this and waiting for it to unfold, that was as frustrating as any element of the entire news story and where we are right now with the lockout. Well, let's let's be honest about one rule change, and that is a DH. That's a, a significant uh, football being punted up and back between the players and the owners. That that's a, a that's a huge piece that'll be decided at the end once there is an agreement as to whether there'll be a DH or not. Because although it benefits both sides, it does have to be collectively bargained. Uh, we're we're coming up on 2022, David. That is 55 years since the DH came into the American League as an experiment. I'll repeat, as an experiment to see (laughs) if they could get more offense into the game because the game had become so boring in uh, 1968 and predictable because pitching dominated uh, that uh, the American League established an experimental year to see if the DH worked. Well, it did. The averages went up. Unfortunately, the National League uh, turned their nose up toward it and said, no, we're not interested. And 50 years later, we still have 
two teams playing in the same the same game, the same leagues uh, in Major League Baseball with two different sets of rules, which is still astonishing to me uh, after 50 years. Bruce, do you remember who the first designated hitter was in Major League Baseball? I'm putting you on the spot here. Do Of course. Like you know at the tip of your tongue. Who is it? Ron Bloomberg. Show off. What a show off, Bruce. Yeah, you're right. So now I'm a it show off because you're putting, me, you're, 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 you're putting me, you're, you're, you're putting me, uh, you're putting me on the line, and you know I'm, uh, I'm expected to know everything that's ever happened in the game since I first started covering in 1876. <laughs> and by the way, Albert Spalding was a difficult guy to deal with. I'm All sure right? the access in those days was a lot different. So that's good. It, good it, trivia. It was tough. Yeah, it was really tough. But uh, you know, the, to, to get back into the reality of the situation here. That's a big bargaining chip. Uh, the DH and the expanded playoffs, that's what it's going to come down to, David. Uh, the other yep. stuff, the peripherals, I don't think the, the, the players are not going to get back a, a one year on uh, arbitration and one year on free agency all in one uh, sit-down, okay? It's, it's just not going to happen. It's been in place since 1975. It's just not going to change. Look, to be honest about it, uh, not pointing fingers, Tony Clark is the head of the Players Association. Um, he's a, a wonderful guy, great former player, a very intelligent guy, a lot of respect for him. But uh, the Players uh, Players Association blew it in the last two, two times out. And they want it all back in one, okay? It's not going right. to happen that way. It's just not going to happen. So if, if that's what they're, they're, they're going to go in the first month of this uh, lockout and they're going to say that's a, it's a, it's a non, non-starter if we don't talk about this, they'll talk about it, but they're not, they're not going to get it back. It's just not going to happen right away. There'll be things that they get back. Most of it will be money. It's all about the money, splitting up the money. There's tons of money left for both the owners and the players, David, tons. You know, you're not giving out $43 million a year contracts to pitchers that are 36 years old unless the game, something is really right about the game right now. So the the, the economics are there. Splitting it up will be the decision of the players and the owners. And if you want to take a side of who you like better, go ahead. I like the fans myself. I'm, I'm on their side. Take a side. Share an opinion. 312 644 67, 67, whether it's on the MLB lockout or whatever else is on your mind. Bruce, I want to spray to all fields here before we get out of this first segment, and I want to ask you your opinion on some of the things that have happened, beginning with the big news locally, which broke last Sunday night. Minnie Minoso received 14 votes from the 16-member Golden Days Era Committee, and he will go into the Hall of Fame along with Jim Cock, Gil Hodges, Tony Oliva, and it – it was a long time coming, and you're, we heard from Minnie's family this week, and he is. You know, it was referred to as the Latino Jackie Robinson Trailblazer. The White Sox did a terrific job as an organization in pushing this strongly. What was your initial reaction? And in, in since in talking to people, this was a, something that was long overdue. Well, my initial reaction was it was long overdue, like you said, but also very thrilled for his family. And the, and the baseball family of Minnie Minoso, uh, being the White Sox fans going back all the years. Look, I was fortunate enough to watch him play when I was a kid. And there was nothing that Minnie Minoso didn't do extremely well. He could run. He could throw. He could steal bases. He could hit home runs. 
he could uh, he could light up the the team with his energy. He was to bring it to a modern comp. He was Louis Robert. Okay, hmm. so if you look if you look at Louis Robert play every day, you're watching Minnie Minoso. Now, does Robert have the ability to surpass what what uh, what Minnie did in those times? I think so. I think he's going to hit more home runs. Uh, I, I think he'll be uh, the best center fielder in baseball for a long period of time defensively. But uh, Minnie was all that. Watching him play, watching Luis Robert play, reminds me of Minnie Minoso. Just that kind of electricity, Bruce, or the, the multiple skill set, just overall, right. just the charisma, that kind of thing? Everything, including, you know, a, a, a being a... a, a a black Latino in a time where there were uh, none and uh, African-Americans and black Latins were still dealing with a tremendous pushback racially, uh, just trying to get be able to be on teams and and be able to go from city to city and stay in their own city uh, and be treated equally like the other players. Pretty big challenge when you went to places uh, you know, a little further south, like St. Louis, where uh, players couldn't stay in the same hotels as, as their teammates. So uh, there was a, a great social challenge right. for people like Arrestus Mini Minoso. That was the good news, and there was bad news as well. There was a disappointing aspect to the release of the news of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Mini Minoso went in with others. Dick Allen did not. 25 members of his family had gathered in Orlando for a watch party. They were disappointed. He came one vote short, and there was a 16-person committee we referenced, but one vote short for Dick Allen, and I think that was a disappointment, Bruce, because as as much as you describe Minnie Minoso so accurately and the comps, I mean, every White Sox fan of a certain age can remember just what Dick Allen brought to not only here in Chicago but with Philadelphia, just his career. Seems like he was. It was time for him as well, and now they have to deal with the disappointment. It is disappointing. Uh, Dick Allen was a lightning rod. He was probably uh, he probably had the most dominant year I had ever seen um, in 1972 when he was the MVP of the Chicago White Sox, and they made a great run at one of those great Oakland A's teams that eventually had won three uh, World Series in a row in 72, 73, 74. Uh, but, but Dick Allen was a, a phenomenal hitter, a phenomenal player, and a unique individual. And we'll, we'll get to talk to a, a Hall of Famer, Goose Gossage, at the top of the next hour uh, to talk a little bit about a new book out on uh, Dick Allen and about, about uh, Dick Allen's career because it's, uh, it's pretty exciting uh, to, to hear about how he, how he played, who he was, and uh, get that from uh, a Hall of Fame teammate. Bruce, I did not do my Rule 5 mock draft this week, but it, it, did, under, uh, it did happen with baseball. Any news that we should care about as a regard? No. As it, no? Cubs or Sox <laughs> no. didn't take any, any diamonds Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, no? the, Cubs, the Cubs took a player. The White Sox lost a player. The Cubs lost a player. But these were all uh, – this was a AAA uh, version of the uh, – Rule five, and uh, there, it's not. There's not much to talk about there right, right. now. Unfortunately, you had to check. You know, you never yeah. know what no, you I might understand. be missing, Bruce. In three years, we may be talking about somebody who was passed over or claimed, and you just never know. I'll remember this. Well, day you're right. This didn't you're, matter. You're right. There's been some great players taken in Rule five, and we'll we'll see how this uh, 
plays out right now. But uh, nothing too exciting there. And uh, a huge disappointment last week, David, not being at the winter meetings, which yeah. was supposed to take place in uh, Orlando. Uh, this is two years in a row there haven't been any winter meetings, which is the highlight of the winter, one of the highlights of the entire baseball year, uh, where everybody in the game, front offices, uh, coaches, um, media people, agents, uh, get together and uh, have a you know five days of talks about baseball, trades, free agency. Uh, it's really missed. It really hurts not to be at those. And uh, it, it hurts the game, too, in the offseason. Well, the ownership and the management of the New York Mets have been busy this week, and that's been the biggest, I guess, news around the game. They have interviewed managerial candidates, Buck Showalter, Brad Osmus, Bob Guerin, Joe Espada. Those are the familiar names on the list, Bruce. One name that I thought we might see, wonder what you thought about that. Ozzie Guillen's name was mentioned in San Diego. Did you think you might see it pop up on a list involving the New York Mets? Yeah, I was hoping. Uh, you know, again, uh, Ozzie, Ozzie got skipped, but uh, – uh, for the life of me, I still don't understand it. There's not a better baseball man out there. There's maybe some equals, okay, because there's great baseball people out there. Not a ba- better baseball man than Ozzie Guillen. Not a, not a guy better equipped to run a baseball team. Not for, for modern times or any time, you know. Uh, you know, he would be a perfect guy for that team. But it appears it's not going to be Ozzie. Uh, I think they have to uh, – Ozzie qualifies – for a, a lot of reasons, but a, yeah. of course, a veteran. Look, you can mention all the names you want there with the Mets. If they don't hire a veteran manager for that situation, shame on them. Okay, there's some good names. There's some really good names uh, of of people that haven't managed yet in the big leagues. But uh, if they don't hire Showalter, I, I'll be surprised. I'll be shocked. Well, if they're going to go back. If they're going to interview guys who are considered quote-unquote retreads, guys who have managed before, as you reference, Buck Showalter's on your list. Brad Osmus is on your list. If Brad Osmus is on your list, why isn't Ozzie Guillen? I don't understand that at all. Ozzie's got a World Series ring he could bring to the interview, which I think would be quite impressive. But he's not, for whatever reason, he's not on that list. And I thought we might see it pop up. You started to hear some people maybe mention that, uh, whispering about it, but... um, so far, not going to happen. There's a connection between the general manager and uh, Brad Osmus. And Brad Osmus is a good baseball guy, but, you know, in his two stints, uh, hasn't really accomplished a lot. Isaac Ian won a World Series, uh, had uh, dynamite teams. Buck Showalter, still not there winning a World Series, but has had many teams go to the playoffs, considered a top-flight baseball guy. Um, I think the Mets need some stability and having an inexperienced manager is probably not the way to go, David. Probably not the way to go. Absolutely not. I agree with you. Hopefully that can, uh, Ozzy will get another chance at one point sometime with a smart general manager, giving him an opportunity. Okay. We got a full show coming up, Bruce. We're going to hear from Ian Happ next. We also have, as you mentioned, Goose Gossage. We've got Jack O'Connell talking hall of fame. We also have our favorite segment, Chicago bound talking about somebody speculating about people who might be coming to Chicago or maybe staying in town. That's the tease. So keep it right here until 11 o'clock. This is Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. 
Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 674. I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine. Bruce, you got a chance to hear from me and Hap yesterday. How, uh, uh, before we, we get to that interview with Dan and Layla on Bernstein and Rahimi on Thursday, uh, what were you expecting to hear? And uh, how, how do you explain Ian Hap? Um, because he's a guy who I think he has really come a long way in terms of he's a he's a leader on that team and you didn't expect him to maybe be that guy early on and and he's become a very good friend of the station has a great rapport with Dan and Layla and it was fun to hear him talk about a little bit of everything he's a really smart guy he's well thought out guy uh he he combines the younger player ideas as well as veterans uh the veterans on that team uh the Rizzo Bryant and uh you know, Baez before they left, they they all they all believed that uh, this was a smart guy that could represent him the team well, very early on. And and he, you know, Ian is a, still a young player; he's only 27 years old, yeah. still proving his worth in the big leagues. But uh, off the field, uh, he brings a lot of um, a lot of a lot of understanding of uh, the business world and the sports baseball world as well. And uh, uh, Layla and Dan did a terrific job of uh, talking to him. We're going to have a chance to listen to that now. Yeah, and as a Cub player rep, they began the conversation, getting to the point where, okay, so what where, where are the players standing, and what exactly uh, is the latest with uh, the MLB lockout? You can find him on Twitter at IHAP underscore one as he joins us on the SCORE hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. So, how are you feeling? I, it sounded like you're playing a little hurt in the latest edition of the Compound Podcast. I know you're, you're less wise now that your sources of wisdom have been removed from your face, but how, how are you healing up? I'm getting there. Getting there. Been a little bit of a slower process than I would have liked, but uh, I'm on the mend. And yeah, I did. I played hurt. Uh, really uh, got through it. It was it was big for me. Big for the Compound. Yeah, that's uh, that's not fun to have the wisdom teeth out. Are your cheeks still swollen? Are you still feeling chubby bunny when it comes to trying to talk and eat and stuff like that? Yeah, the cheeks are okay. Uh, but, yeah, the jaw's a little sore, a little tough to eat. Haven't really gotten the solid foods yet. Um, the, uh, we're in the pain meds, so we're going straight ibuprofen now. Not great for the stomach. A lot of things going on in my life, you know. Well, and, and the, the way the the episode started, I have to tell you that there, there is, I am vehemently pro eggnog, and I'm I'm right there with Dakota Mekas. It actually did, and Zach was right that it's it's exactly what you need right now. And for those who say, oh, it's disgusting, it's disgusting. I I don't know why, but the the, the Southern Comfort brand, not with the it's it's, it's Southern Comfort brand, but there's no alcohol in it, but. We've done a lot of eggnog taste testing in our house, so that is absolutely a winner and a staple of our Novembers and Decembers. Wow! Wow! I'm uh, yeah, I'm an anti-eggnog guy. I'm I'm down on eggnog, but I respect the opinion. I am also pro nog, but I will do nog substitutes because I just mostly like the combination of the seasoning and the drink. Like, how do you feel about horchata? You live in Austin; you've got to be familiar with that. There. No, I you know any. Uh... I mean, like milk-based alcoholic drink is a little bit. It just—I uh, don't like the mixture. Uh, see, I feel like this is a very polarizing topic. I joke that it is as polarizing as Nickelback earlier. Whether or not you're a pro eggnog, I don't want to. Should I ask about the Nickelback stance as well in this conversation? No, 
No, we have to stay away from all of these controversial topics. There's enough going on in the baseball world right now. Well, and I appreciate what you brought to the table, talking about it on your podcast, the way you did, as candidly as you did, especially being the player rep. And you gave some details that I think are very much worth repeating here. And tell us about what you said on the podcast, talking about what the owners presented in Dallas to the players union and what the takeaway was. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think talking candidly about it's important. I, I, I think it's important to clarify some of the things is just the, the mixed messages out there. And one of the most disappointing parts about the trip to Dallas, you know, obviously uh, all the players, uh, go down there and we and we sit and it's a long uh, few days. But the one of the most disappointing parts is that um, the owners didn't make one economic proposal uh, the entire time we were there. You know, we first day or uh, morning of the second day, I guess morning of morning of Tuesday, maybe we you know we made uh, an economic proposal um, that that looped into a proposal for Monday. Um, that was kind of a broader package and putting all of these things together uh, on one piece of paper. Um, and, and it looped in a lot of the economics, a lot of what we talked about with uh, draft and expanded playoffs and all these things that you've heard about. Um, and we just didn't, we didn't get anything back and we didn't get anything that said, okay, here's uh, our proposal um, in the same realm. Here's how we get to, a conclusion um, and move forward. And without having that, you know, it's anybody who's been through a negotiation, whether it's a, a car or a house or anything, you don't just keep giving numbers and have the other person say no. You don't just keep moving uh, off your position. That's a horrible way to negotiate. So we, you know, we're just disappointed that there was no uh, economic proposal brought forth um, by that side in Dallas. And, and we would hope that um, you know, obviously players are hoping that negotiations continue and that we can keep working on this, but, um, you know, some of the things that were said in the media just, just were not exactly how it happened. Well, I laughed out loud when I saw how paternalistically the owners had said, we're not negotiating this, we're not negotiating this, and whether it's these rules changes or this, the number of things that they explicitly claimed that were off the bargaining table, and my response was, you don't get to do that. That's not how this works. You can't unilaterally say that this will not be the subject of negotiations. And I would hope that whoever is actually at the table could push back and just say, you know, like Bruce Meyer or whatever, could just say, yeah, no, we're, the, 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 we're not stipulating to any of this at the outset. And I, and I, I would hope that that's actually going on. Yeah, that, then the, the difficult part about um, being in a negotiating room is that as, as, people take things off the table um, that's there's, you know, there's just no negotiation there. And there's, there is, there's core principles and core foundations that are work stoppage issues for both sides. Um, but if every issue is a work stoppage issue, then you can't negotiate. And there, that's not how it works, as you said. Um, but the, the big thing for players and the big thing for what we're discussing is a way to make, the system more competitive, a way to to do away with um, service time manipulation, to have penalties for manipulating service time um, so that fans are getting to see the best players in the league as soon as they're ready, um, so that teams are competing um, 
uh, all the way throughout the season. So the teams are trying to win games in August and September instead of a race to the bottom to get a draft pick. Um, so the teams are trading for good players at the deadline. So the teams are going out and competing in free agency to put a competitive team out there and not losing three, four, five seasons in a row. You should be penalized for being uh, a bad team for that many years in a row and not trying. Um, and you should be rewarded if you're a small market team and you go and you make the playoffs as a wild card and you spend money to do so. You should be rewarded with a draft pick. You should be um, rewarded for going out and competing and putting a product out there that your fans want to see. Uh, and I think that that's what the players want. Uh, and, and I think that fans can really understand why the game needs to trend in that direction instead of 10 to 15 teams that are trying not to compete and competing for draft picks. That's something you brought up that I thought was was something to expand on is the concept of giving teams draft picks when they compete. Do you have an idea of how that would work exactly and come together? And, and MLB says, ye smart mar- small market team, whichever one you want to determine or what the, the media size is. You made the playoffs. You get an extra draft pick. Did they give you an example of how that would come about? Yeah, it was actually, it was, uh, those were examples presented by our side uh, and ideas that came from our side. But, okay, but my fault on that, but thank well, you. No, no, no. But, what, but you know, the, the ideas would be that if you are a small market team, um, that that would be your incentive to go compete on a yearly basis would be that if you make the playoffs, uh, that you get a comp pick so that those picks that are between the picks that are now reserved for qualifying offer, uh, which makes it so that no teams want to go out and sign a free agent. Like, you know, you saw Dallas Keuchel, you saw Craig Kimber, like these guys, they don't sign until after the draft because no team wants to give up uh, a draft pick. Whereas, um, so the qualifying offer uh, was just horrible for free agents and for teams to actually go out and compete. But instead of those picks going to uh, teams that were losing a free agent, um, you know, give those picks in the comp rounds to small market teams that are competing and going um, to be in playoff spots or tie those picks to uh, teams that went out and signed a big free agent or teams that, you know, increased their um, number of tickets sold in a given year that they went out and actually put more butts in the seats. You know, that those are ways that you increase competitiveness, um, that you make sure that teams are, are actually uh, competing. And, you know, the, the, a system where if you are uh, at the bottom of the ladder for two, three years, depending on the size of your market, then you can't have a pick in the top 10. You can't have a pick in the top eight picks um, because you've been bad for too long. Uh, I think that there are ways to say, look, you cannot go out. You can reset your roster. That's fine. You, there's a year that you, you need to wait one year uh, to get some guys back to go and compete again, fine. But you can't do it for three, four, or five years. It's not fair to your fan base. See, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but the problem that I have in general with draft pick-based compensation is that it's a it's a bit of sort of a like a false front on here. And I thought I thought Zach Short did a pretty good job of starting to articulate this. This is not an NBA draft. It's not an NFL draft. What it's ultimately going to do is unless there is a, a drastic recalculation of service time and arbitration clock, all more draft picks and higher draft picks is going to do is give owners more pre-arb labor, 
more inexpensive, exploitable labor. So to me, any reformation of draft pick structure has to be hand in hand with those picks being allowed a bite at, at, at the real apple sooner upon material major league performance. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that's why that's why the one of the reasons this negotiation is so tough is because a lot of changes in the system come in packages where if you're gonna do one thing, then you must do others. And so um yeah, that's the the way to compensate guys early, uh if it you know, it is either moving up the arbitration clock or or and uh, having a pool of, of money that is dedicated to those zero to three guys or zero to two guys, uh, where those guys are getting compensated for, you know, the Cody Bellinger or or Acuna or Juan Soto that when they're when they're young and they're performing at such a high level, when they're getting accolades, you're getting MVP votes, you're all MLB team, All Star games, like you should be compensated for those. Um, and it's never going to get to the fair market value of the compensation. You're not going to be see, seeing those guys make $20 million, $30 million when they first get into the league, but they should be getting compensated in some way over the league minimum uh, for their contributions to their teams. Uh, and that's another way to get those guys paid early on. But I think you're, I think you're right. But the, the interesting about the draft pick compensation, but the interesting part is teams are valuing draft picks so highly. So until teams, stop valuing draft picks uh, in, in that way and prospects in that way. You know, you're seeing, you saw last year, Darvish is traded for a bunch of prospects or you have other guys throughout the league who have been traded when the Marlins moved all those, those outfielders, you know, you get traded for all of these prospects. Um, yeah, teams are valuing prospects are valuing draft picks are valuing young talent. So uh, we're trying to play in, in their court. That was Ian Happ on Thursday on the Bernstein and Rahimi show right here on 670 The Score. Bruce Levine, David Haw inside the clubhouse until 11 o'clock. Bruce, we have a lot to react to after that, and we will when we come back inside the clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I think that there are ways to say, look, you cannot go out. You can reset your roster. That's fine. You, there's a year that you, you need to wait one year uh, to get some guys back to go and compete again. Fine. But you can't do it for three, four, or five years. It's not fair to your fan base. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670 score. David Hall, Bruce Devine. That was Ian Happ with Dan Layla, Bernstein, and Rahimi on Thursday. Bruce, we just heard part of his entire interview. Very interesting stuff. What was your reaction? Well, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, back in my putting my fan hat on, just showing how far apart they are, you know, and that uh, there really wasn't any information other than articulation by both uh, Dan, Layla, all three, Dan, Layla, and Ian, about what they would like to talk about. There wasn't any anything there that uh, is going to be accepted at this point, in particular about um, five-year free agency, two-year arbitration, those are non-starters, as Dan articulated in it, uh, saying you know that the owners shouldn't be talking about that they won't negotiate it. They should be talking about it and negotiating it. Well, I think the owners are just cutting to the chase and saying, look, this is a non-starter for us. Why should we even uh, pretend to listen to it when we know we're not getting this done now? Maybe, maybe in the future, in future negotiations, we can talk about this. Uh, as the game continues to get younger, David, and it appears that 
some of the younger stars are coming on more and more and more at age 20, 21, 22. Uh, it makes an awful lot of sense that players start getting paid earlier between their one and three years before arbitration starts. So th there, there is a validity to that conversation. And I think the owners will for sure uh, be uh, amen uh, amenable to uh, talking about the minimum salary for players going way up. It's around 575 per year right now. I think closer to a million dollars a year would be something that would really um, make an awful lot of sense for players, uh, concessions for owners in that area, where if a player plays an average four years, which is the, is the average major league career, four years, he walks away with the $4 million and, and, a, and a really good start on life. You know, we, we look at players and we talk about contracts and all the crazy money they make, but you know, this is all the money they will make in the world as far as uh, crazy money. By 35, most of them are, are done. So uh, from, from that perspective, I, I think that that's going to happen. But uh, my, my main takeaway is that uh, the, these two sides are far apart from uh, talking about the major issues. And Ian Happ articulated that well as a Cubs player rep. We know he is a coffee entrepreneur. We know he is a friend of the station. But, Bruce, I want to talk to you about Ian Happ, the player. You know, last year he hit 25 home runs. He only hit 226. Uh, he did strike out 156 times, which I think is still one of the things is his biggest Achilles heel. But when you look at Ian Happ and the way that he finished the season, 15 of his 25 homers came after August 1st. On the day the Cubs dismantled, he was hitting a robust 180. A lot of these things happened after the pressure was off. And this is a tightly wound player, and you wonder what effect that had, perhaps. I wonder what you think about where Ian Happ fits into this sort of uh, the Cubs being caught in the middle. They want to go on parallel tracks. They want to be a developmental team, and they want to be a big market team. Where does Ian Happ fit in their plans, and where should he fit in your mind? It's a really difficult one to figure out because he's had – uh, let, let's go back to 2019, okay? 2019, uh, he was sent down uh, to the minor leagues at the beginning of the year for four months um, because of a, a very rough end to the 2018 season and a very rough spring training. He, he went down there for four months. He came back, and he had a terrific last six weeks of the season. Uh, Okay, uh, in, in 2000, uh, in two, I'm sorry, in 2019, he had a terrific uh, uh, last two months of the season. Um, 2020, Ian Happ was the best Cubs player for the first month of the two-month season. He mm -hmm. was terrific, uh, leading the team in, uh, in RBIs, leading off, doing a great job. The last month of 2020, he hit uh, under 200, okay? He was non, a non-productive player. 2021, leadoff man, starting off the season, can't get it going. First four months of the season, nothing. The last month and a half, he was one of the best players in baseball. So if you're Hoyer, if you're David Ross, how do you even uh, – I'll just ask you this, David. How does your offseason start – what, what do you think of Ian Happ? Does he help you in 2022, 
or does he help you by being traded somewhere else in 2022? I wonder about the latter. I, I try to explore as many different possibilities uh, about trading Ian Happ and seeing what the market is like and seeing if there's a way to supplement my pitching staff with young pitchers. If they're, he's, a, he's a young man, as you point out. He's a former first-round pick. There's a lot of potential there. I do wonder about a change of scenery and how that would affect him. I do wonder about his uh, ability to sometime, and I don't want this to sound unfair, but it seems like get lost in his own head. He's a, he's a deep thinker. He's a very cerebral player. Sometimes that's a good thing, but mm -hmm. Bruce, we have seen sometimes it makes you grip the bat a little tighter and, and maybe right. chase pitches you wouldn't ordinarily. So my mindset, if I'm Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins in this offseason would be, I want to explore the marketplace for everybody that I consider tradable. And if there's a market for Ian Happ, I'm going to see what I can get in return because I've seen, I know what I know. And, I, and I'm not sure that's going to change much moving forward, even though my expectation would be you're not going to get enough in return to trade him, and he's probably in all likelihood going to be your opening day left fielder. It sounds very much like a conversation that John Holland and the Chicago Cubs were having in 1962 and 1963 as they were trying to bring a young left fielder along who showed tremendous potential, tremendous power, tremendous speed, and they just didn't know how he fit in a guy by the name of Lou Brock. And uh, you certainly, and, and, and people will say, well, how can you comp Bruce. Lou Brock and Ian happen the same sentence? And I will tell you that Lou Brock had the same struggles for the Chicago Cubs in 1961, 62, 63, before he was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for Ernie Brolio. So it's, it's that type of potential when you look at his ability to hit home runs, his ability to dominate pitching like he has in months and six-week periods that, that causes you to hesitate before you make a move. Lou Brock had one elite skill, though, even early on in his career. I don't remember that, Bruce, but don't you think that – I, I love the comp because I think it, it reinforces this idea that, yeah, the potential – is what would prevent you from wanting maybe to trade Ian Happ. Absolutely true right. about any first-rounder. But I don't know what his elite skill is. I think he's got many tools. I don't know what he does best. And because that's so unclear right now, this far into his career, I think I might be more willing to engage in trade talks for a guy who you might be wrong about, but you also might get something in return. There are teams and scouts that I know and front office people that I talk to at the general manager's meeting that love Ian Happ, okay, because of the switch hitting, because of the uh, great power left-handed, because of the fact that he can dominate for periods of time. And there's that old thought in baseball, David, that when you see a talented player and he struggles somewhere else, that our people can get the best out of him. We have better coaches. We have better technology. We have a better way of getting the most out of players. We develop young players here. Uh, so in that perspective, there is opportunity to bring back quality for Ian Happ, and you should because he has tremendous potential. Still at 27, not a player you give up on, but a player that you look at and go, is the light going to go on, and will this guy be a star player in Major League Baseball? Great points, Bruce. Very interesting discussion. It will be ongoing. It will be an interesting offseason for Ian Happ and the Cubs. 
And we got a very interesting and fascinating second hour ahead. We've got Rich Goots Gossage. We've got Jack O'Connell. We've got Chicago Bound. We've got it all coming up when we come back on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.